An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It's a Prestige TV podcast. My name is Bill Simmons here with Joanna Robinson. One of our favorite shows is back. White Lotus. It's back. I like the way you said that. White Lotus. White Lotus is back. <laughs> this is a show that was not intended to have a second season. Even as the show was starting to gain momentum, I think episode two, three, four, I think HBO was even wondering, wait, what does this mean? This was supposed to be a one-off. Nobody yeah. was ever supposed to see this show again. And it became a little bit of a phenomenon by the end. It is a good example of a show building over the course of a few weeks, which is a strategy a lot of these streamers are kind of shying away from. HBO, I feel like it's the number one reason White Lotus works. What do you think about just like the week-to-weakness of it? Oh, yeah. If if White Lotus had been a binge, it would have not hit the way that it did. It built... You know, word of mouth, but also on, you know, the dialogue is full of so many rich, uh, almost memeable moments that I just saw it building and building on social media as people shared lines that were just killer. Um, and other people got curious about what the show would be. But yeah, nobody anticipated White Lotus season one, I guess we now call it, um, to be a thing. But it, I mean, they got a mountain of Emmy nominations. Like it was just a huge, huge thing after the fact. And I think that the question we always ask when something like this happens, it was never meant to be a multi-season show, is like, are we sure we want a second season? We always like want more of what we like, but sometimes when something is contained to one season, meant to be one season, and then keeps going, it's diminishing returns. So I'm curious, like, were you worried about that at all with White Lotus season two? Or you just- I was. I was very concerned. I think some shows you could argue should have just been one season. I think Homeland's a great example of that. Homeland Brody should have just died in the last episode and maybe we're done with Homeland. <laughs> now they ended up getting seven seasons out of it. It was way more lucrative to do it that way, but sometimes you should be a one and done. I think the difference here is Mike White, who has had a really fascinating career and we've we've talked about it on a bunch of our podcasts and Chris and Andy certainly dove into the Mike White kind of really unusual career arc in a lot of ways. 
but this has become like, he's so good at this show and this style and how to weave the characters in it. The thing I really missed watching it, it was a little how I felt like with Succession. It's, I would watch these twice. The second time was so much better than the first time because it's like, all right, I know what's going to happen. Now I'm really concentrating. What's he trying to do with this scene, that scene? And just everything, the way it's cast, the dialogue, like the little, the the facial expressions, everything is so meticulous. There's not, a, there's how many shows actually like this? Like less than five? It's so hard to put a finger on what it makes White Lotus so special. And I think you do have to be sort of steeped in it to, to really feel it. I loved rewatching these episodes because, yeah, once you get a sense of who all the players are and what their personalities are, then you can dive, in, dive into those deeper moments. And I think part of it has to do with Mike, like Mike White, you know, as I'm sure Chris and Andy have talked about, Mike White is a huge reality show fan, right? He was on Survivor. And so what he's done, I'm not I'm not a big consumer of reality TV, but what he's done with these White Lotus seasons is create essentially a reality TV cast of characters and, you know, rather than abandon them on an island, um, you know, took them on a yacht off to an island, but you're still, you're still all these personalities in close proximity clashing against each other. And there are good parts and bad parts to every single one of these characters. And that's, I think, what makes it so chaotic and fun to watch because you never quite know who exactly you're supposed to be latching onto at any given moment. Yeah, the, it's almost like the anti-hero thing. He loves the class stuff. I think... Yes. I think this show, as good as Eddie's show in recent memory, has been able to skewer the upper class. In a way, Succession is a little bit like this too. And both of them, I think, have resonated with people. But think about the audience. The audience is mostly, it's older, it's middle, upper class. It's like they're enjoying watching themselves get skewered. There's that scene in the first episode when uh, Arby Plaza's character and her husband, and they're like, what? you guys don't watch the news? You don't read? Like, And she's so dismissive of them. And there's a piece, like everybody knows somebody like that, right? Who's super judgmental and who looks down at you because culturally you're not, uh, you haven't ascended like they have. But it's just all that little stuff he puts in there. It's so good. There's, I don't know of another show that does it as well, where you can see little pieces of people you might know in these different characters. And I think that group of four, the Aubrey Plaza group of, the Cameron Daphne couple and the Ethan Harper couple are so interesting, right? Because Ethan and Harper are the newly rich characters in here. So they're not steeped in this world. Yeah. And so they do come at it from a place of uh, Ethan more acceptance, her more judgment. But like a lot of these people deserve to be judged. And then you've got Cameron and Daphne who, I mean, I, I, Megan Faye, who's not an actress I know very well, who's playing Daphne, is like maybe stealthily one of my favorites. The show starts with her, like applying sunscreen, and she's the one who finds a dead body, yep. right? So we can talk about the murder mystery aspect later. But her character, like the way she delivered the whole, like, I think I voted. I'm sure I right. voted. Like all of, like she's just so awful and and like beautifully sweet and basic all at the same time. And I think that kind of character could seem 2D, but I, the way that Mike White writes these characters. And, and like, again, you're not sure what you're supposed to be rooting for because on the one hand, you know, Aubrey Plaza's character is very certain that she and her husband have things figured out and these two privileged rich idiots are the assholes. But then don't they seem happier? 
in their in their terrible, blissful ignorance. So like, I think Mike White is asking the question of like, what is right? Or is there a right way to engage in this world? You know, yeah. do you need to be hypercritical or can you just enjoy it? Or is there some middle ground? You know, those two couples are the key to this season. But, and I want to go back to them because yeah. I think the most important stuff we're going to talk about, at least in this first episode is those four people. But let's go through the characters. So we have Harper and Ethan played by Aubrey Plaza. I don't know the name of the other guy. Will Sharp. Yeah. He just hit it big in some sort of ambiguous tech thing. Newfound money. She makes that comment early about the happy couple that you mentioned, Cameron and Daphne, who the, the show starts with Daphne, but that she's dubious of why they're going on this vacation. He's going to hit you up for money. To, oh, you watch. And she's just skeptical of the whole thing. Right. So we set them up. It's clear that they don't know each other that well. The two guys do because they were college roommates. But even then, they don't seem like they're best friends. And then the wives are getting thrown together. I think this is good because everybody's been on some sort of vacation or weekend where you're thrown together with other people. And it seemed like a good idea until you're actually, you know, day two into five days or four days. You're like, wow, this is going to be a long. So you can feel that instantly. So you have that. Then you have the three generations. You get the farting grandfather, no, no, Murray Abraham. who's like, lock him down for an Emmy nomination now. It's just like. Just put put him in the ballot. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> Perfect old guy role. Uh, our guy, Michael Imperioli. Dominic, he's the son. Chris Romaltisanto, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the dorky grandson, Albie. So you get the three generations. Mm-hmm. And all of them are trying to say something, right? The grandfather's the old, he, he doesn't know anything about the PC era, right? He's just throwing it out. He doesn't care what people think. You have Moltisante, a.k.a. Dominic. He is like borderline cancel culture guy, like clearly had some affairs and stuff like that. He's maybe morally, his compass isn't awesome. And then the son, who is like the classic, like Gen X, like he's, I feel like Mike White's making fun of stuff with that character. So the three of them together, you're just throwing them in, it becomes uh, super goofy. I feel like that that trio is meant to be like sort of these, I don't know, masculine toxicity or masculine, whatever, like sort of diluted through yes. the generations. Cause you've got uh, F. Murray Abraham's character, Bert uh, being just overtly harassing every young woman that he encounters. Right. And then, yeah, Michael Imperioli's character, Dom, like he is, has the social awareness that you shouldn't harass like the hotel employees, but they're still, He's still blown up his family, you know. Uh, and, and he's still getting young hookers sneaking in, getting yeah. into his room, stuff like that. Exactly. And then Albie, I don't know. I've got I've got questions about like how, the, like right now he seems really sweet, but is there like something, um, can you escape this like generational thing or are you a, a part of it? Something I feel like in, in White Lotus, I, I would often make the mistake of like, thinking I was rooting for a character to, to escape a cycle. And that seemed to be not what Mike White was interested in. He was just sort of like, no, we're, we're in these cycles and we don't really break them. We just stay right. in them. You know, we, we stay in bad marriages. We, you know, that's what we do. I like the three generations and how like the, uh, the stereotypical versions of masculinity each generation is kind of apparent, even with Albie. Cause I think we'll see. We episode two has some stuff with him too. Then we have, Jennifer Coolidge is back. She's our only repeater. Tanya, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they triple down on how weird she is. She's with Greg, 
Greg meets her. Uh, Greg meets her there in Italy, and then um, her assistant, Portia, played by Haley Lou Richardson, who is somebody that. I, I mean, she was the teenager in like a hundred different movies. She was the best friend in age of seventeen, and um, yeah, I've always really liked her. And now she's the kind of young adult, frazzled assistant. But I thought, to me, she was the breakout. Other than Aubrey Plaza, we'll talk about. I thought she was the breakout. Like, oh, this this is a really good performance. This is kind of a part that could, in the wrong hands could fall apart. And I'm just with her, and you're rooting for her, and she's. Kind of the proxy. Who was the one that the one that Tanya made friends with in uh, season one? Who worked for the hotel? Oh, the spa. Yeah, I can't yeah, the her spa, name. the yeah. spa yeah. lady, and she became the one you're kind of rooting for. Right. She's not doesn't belong with these people, but you you know this is who the assistant is. It feels like. Yeah, and I I just want to yes and your love of Haley Lou Richardson. Like Edge of Seven, I love her in Edge of Seventeen, but like support the girls. She's incredible mm. in that movie, Columbus, and she's really wasn't she an unpregnant? Yeah, unpregnant. Yeah, she's well. getting unpregnant. Yeah, she's really surprisingly like chameleonic like she is you you could when she showed up and support the girls I thought I understood what she could do and then I started seeing her in other things and I was like oh you are capable of so many different flavors and yeah she played teen, a teenager like I think well into her mid-20s did you know she was in this yes yeah I did. so I didn't know and I was like who is that and I went and looked I was like oh my god Haley Lou Richardson whoa so she threw like a different look too. So it's yeah. just a different version of her, which I appreciated. Yeah, I love it. So we have those three. And then we have the new hotel manager character, Valentina. And then we have the two, do we call them hookers? What are pseudo hookers? Hostitutes? One of them is definitely doing sex work, right? Lucia. Yeah. Uh, I was calling them the local girls in my the, the in lo- my We'll notes. call them the locals. The That's locals, good. yeah. And then Mia is like, debating whether or not she wants to try sex work at all. Whether she wants to go down that world. So we have a bunch of characters thrown in place and we have an opening scene with a dead body. So we're back. The White Lotus. Who's staying at the White Lotus? (laughs) There's just (laughs) dead bodies everywhere. I'm not staying there. I know. This is like the, the Tanya character is like, the old murder she wrote joke where it's like, don't go anywhere Jessica Fletcher goes because like right. people die. So like don't go on vacation uh with Jennifer Coolidge because people will die. And it's not just one body, it's like a, a yeah. number of bodies, I guess. So were you excited or bummed out or both that it started with a dead body again? I'm curious. I'm like, I because I think I love a mystery and I love yep. a theory. And we, you know, you and I, like when we were talking about yellow jackets, like that was a fun part of yellow jacks is trying to like figure out what's going on. I don't remember White Lotus season one being sort of overwhelmed by the murder mystery. Like you were constantly kind of wondering, reminding yourself, oh yeah, there's a dead body at some point. Yeah. Like I wonder who it is. Um, and this one, it's, oh, there's, okay, there's multiple dead bodies at one point. So you don't have to like focus on which one character. We know one of them's white. Yeah, sure. Yes. And and maybe male. But like, again, I think if he does it the same way he did the first season, it won't feel like we're not constantly going back to like an interrogation. You know, this isn't the affair yeah. or Big Little Lies season one. Like we're not constantly going back to an interrogation room. It's just sort of that ominous thing in the back of your mind. Now it could all fall to pieces, but I'm I'm just sort of, I don't know. I like a mystery. What about you? How did you feel? I feel now they're locked in every season has to start with the dead body at a white <laughs> lotus, right? Because now we're like, it's real life, but also this would be ridiculous now if this happened to Jennifer Coolidge on two different vacations. So now this, 
is just how the show has to start. And we have to accept it's a little distorted view of whatever, and it's a murder mystery, but it's not really, that's not why I think any of us like the show. No. It's the class stuff. It's the way, like, you know, the way the way the assistant is treated, where the guy in front of her is just like, she's got to go. She can't be on our vacation, but she, the assistant's watching this, watching Greg and Tanya argue about this. And then Tanya comes over and says, you don't really have to go, but you have to stay in your room the whole time. It's like, this is awful. No, you don't treat people like this. No. But that's, I think, part of what Mike White cares about. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think we saw it a lot more with the staff characters in season one. But yeah, though, I mean, I guess Haley Lou's character is staff. Yeah. It was sort of like in that opening when you have the dead body and Valentina, the new manager of this White Lotus, um, or the new manager character this season, um, so first says, oh, it's okay. It happened in the ocean. That's not hotel property. Right. And it reminded me a lot of succession, no real person involved. Like she's just sort of like, oh, okay, right. not our not our problem. And that that idea of no real person involved, like, is this my problem or is this a person that I have to register as a person that I have to care about? I think that's in that uh just stay in your room <laughs> this whole yeah. time, but stay close. I need you sort of treatment. Of Portia. So we have the, there's the murder, the murder stuff. We have just the way different types of people are treated in the world of the rich. We have some of the class stuff. We have the new money versus older money. We have some generational stuff. The other thing White Lotus does really well is just like, we're in a cool place. Like he uses Italy as a character on this show, at least in the two episodes that we've watched so far in an amazing way. Almost like how talented Mr. Ripley, Italy becomes like a huge character and talented Mr. Ripley. Mm-hmm. He just gets it. He sees all the part. You're watching you're like, wow, I got to go to this place. This looks amazing. And it's just always there. You feel like you're on a vacation, which I think he did well with White Lotus too. White Lotus, you know, you're in Hawaii. And it was like, this is cool. I really want to go to Hawaii after I've been on even though the White Lotus is kind of a dark show. So there's an escapism to it. The White Lotus, I feel like one of the reasons it took off in the first season was the the pandemic and just people's desire to escape where they were just trapped in their apartment or their house or their condo or wherever wherever they were, you're trapped, you're going nuts. And then you could kind of disappear into the show and be away, even though you weren't. Yeah. Now, now it's like life's normal again, but it's still cool. Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about all the health stuff that is in season one, like with Steve Zahn's character. Yeah. He's got this like health scare that he's worried about. Tanya's husband, Greg, in, in the first season had this health condition, you know, that he was worried about. And that aspect isn't part of the season yet, but there is, you get Haley Lou's character in the first season talking to her friend on the phone and she's like, I can't believe I have to go back in my room. I feel like we've just been inside doom scrolling, you know, forever. So it felt, it feels like yeah. that sort of emerging from the pandemic, even though they're not talking about the pandemic, COVID is not overtly a part of these shows. It is Mike White sort of exploring what does it mean to emerge from being feeling like you've been locked inside for a really long time. And Portia's just like, I got to go back inside? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm here in Italy and you want me to just stay in my room? Um, I don't think so. I love how she keeps saying like, well, I got to eat. And I'm like, do they not have room service at the White Lotus in Sicily? Okay. I don't know. Good scene when she calls home too. And she's upset, but it seems like realistic upset. She could have overacted it. She didn't. So I think she's really good in this show. Before we dive into a couple of things we liked about episode one, are you surprised that this show 
became as popular as it did because it doesn't check. Like to me, you could have told me that this just became a niche show that people liked that just was kind of over on the side and the critics really liked it, but it never caught in a mainstream way. I feel like the show for whatever reason, we talked about like the week to week, maybe it was on at the right time in the, in the right stage of the pandemic, but people got into it in a way that I I think is unusual. I don't think this is a show that normally succeeds the way it did. This is one of HBO's biggest shows. And I just wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, I think part of it, so, you know, I wasn't working for you when when season one came out, but like this prestige feed and what I was doing before, you have to look at what's coming and make a decision. Like, are we going to go all in on covering this show? Are people broadly going to like this? Or are we going to, or is this one for us? And we're going to cover it just because we want to cover it. And I think my mem- if my memory serves, like we took a gamble on White Lotus season one, just sort of, we liked it, but we didn't think everyone else would like it. And then everyone else did like right. it. And I was very surprised. I right. thought it was going to be super niche. Well, Andy and Chris were going nuts about it. And that was one of the reasons I got excited to watch it because they were so unusually excited about it. I was like, all right, I got to, you know, I, I just wasn't expecting it. Anyway, I interrupted. Well, no, no. And Andy's such a good bellwether, I think, for these things. Because, like, if Andy's excited, then, uh, you know, you know yeah. it's good. Um, But, like, I think that it came right off the heels of Mare of Easttown, right? And so I think people... It's that Sunday Night HBO thing where, like... So HBO has been so good at keeping us habitually hooked because they do, you know, they've experimented with expanding it a bit into Monday nights. I think Chernobyl was a Monday night show. But keeping their programming mainly to that two-hour block on Sunday means that a lot of us who are creatures of habit um, just know that we want to watch an HBO show on a Sunday and feel that communal that monoculture, we're all watching something together feeling about an HBO show on Sunday. And so I think especially coming off of like, you know, and that not every HBO Sunday night show is a hit, but coming off of a monster hit like Mayor of Easttown and this one starting with a dead body. So feeling like it's almost a murder mystery. I think people are like, okay, we're back in. We don't have to leave our Sunday night high prestige, glossy, you know, great actors a murder mystery show. Uh, and the White Lotus isn't that, but like it was so good anyway that people stuck around. I think uh, that's that's my best guess is to kind of what happened there, you know? I agree with that. And I also think HBO Sunday night is the last place left where people just will say, I'm giving this a chance. Yeah. Netflix has kind of burned us the last few years, right? And so something like when Dahmer or Watcher, The Watcher hits big recently, I still don't totally trust those are going to be good shows when I start watching it because Netflix has lost my trust with the with their bigger shows because they've dumbed down a lot of their content. So much of it is algorithm driven. So if they get behind a show, I'm still a little dubious, right? Same thing for Apple. Apple's very celebrity splashy. Mm. What famous person can we put <laughs> on the title of our show? Right. So you get a show like Blackbird that... I think everybody loved that show or at least really liked it. And it never kind of took off because it didn't follow the Apple blueprint of here's our famous person on the in the box on top of your Apple TV. You go on down the line, I just think people have this kind of prove to me I should watch this. Whereas HBO Sunday nights, they're giving that first show a chance. They HBO has earned, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, what Michael Lombardo and Richard Pepper did for during their time. But then how Casey has been able to really maintain that. There's a taste level with HBO stuff 
And, you know, granted, we do the music box on HBO, so this sounds like an HBO infomercial, but <laughs> this is a thing when there was that whole thing about um, AT&T, AT&T was taking over HBO right. and it was like, people were really scared HBO was going to get ruined because they really valued the taste of the shows. And, and in 2022, I feel like they've, they've kept it. Part of that is the content demand, right? Because so the, the streamers racing each other to, you know, see who can put the most out because like, that's what Netflix decided was going to win the race for them was like, if we have the most shows, the most films, you know, there's a niche for everyone. We have seven new things every week. Nobody can beat the amount of content. Exactly. But as you say, it's like, it dilutes the brand to do that because then you don't know what you're getting. HBO did something very clever at the end of the day here when they launched HBO Max, their streamer, which is they have HBO Max shows and they have, but they're not touching that sort of golden couple hours of HBO on Sunday for those who still have cable. I think a lot of people who stream don't know the difference necessarily between an HBO cable show and an HBO Max show. Yeah, nobody under 25 knows the difference. That's probably true. I don't think. That's probably true, but I still think that idea of appointment television Sunday, they've held on to that long after like NBC lost must-see Thursday blocks and stuff like that. You know, they've they've held on to that one time when we're all together. And again, they're not, I was worried that HBO was going to start programming. Like when Chernobyl went to Monday and there was some other show on Monday as well, I was worried they were going to start programming every single night. And I just really like that they yeah. kept it to Sundays and then they just own that block. And then as you say, like any show that debuts on that block has passed some sort of test with them. And so the audience is willing to give it a shot. Isaiah, who's producing for us today, he just nodded vociferously when you talked about young people not being able to tell the difference. <laughs> Do you even know what Sunday Night HBO is, Isaiah? No, I don't. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing for my daughter. Fair enough. My daughter was like, White Lotus is coming back. Why is it on HBO Max? And I was like, I'll be able to get screeners, so don't worry about it. But it it premieres on 9 o'clock on Sunday night on HBO. And she's like, I don't, just put it on the app. Why do I have to go to the channel? Like, she barely even knows how to operate a remote control. It's just like, click the HBO Max and shows come up. It'll be on HBO Max. Like, all HBO shows are on HBO yeah. Max. It's just not all HBO Max shows are on HBO. I know. It, like, Isaiah's right. It doesn't really make a difference. But I think as far as like... No, it does make a difference. No, it does. Because the HBO Sunday night, 9 o'clock, still matters. Yeah. And if it's like, if they have anointed a show to be in that slot, that means they think it's a good show. And until they until they have enough stinkers that they lose our trust with that... <laughs> We're going to give all those shows a chance. And it's like, we have Kate Winslet as a as a cop in Pittsburgh. I'll give it a chance. Yeah. Whereas on Hulu, I'm not sure I'm giving it a chance. Right. And it depends, again, on that like word of mouth or, or people, again, that appointment television. I mean, I think I sound fairly old-fashioned when I'm like, oh, I miss when there were fewer shows and we all watched them together at the same time. But there is something really, I mean, I think that's part of the whole House of the Dragon phenomenon is like, People saying it's not as good as Game of Thrones, I agree with you, but the joy of gathering around and all talking about this stuff on Sunday night, it, it, you know, yeah. that that is more than anything is something I think people are really, really responding to with House of the Dragon. Yeah, the what'd you think element yeah. where on Monday you ask like the three people you know watch that, what'd you think? <laughs> what'd you think? Do you, like, you like that one thing they did? And <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what Netflix lost with Stranger Things, which we talked about before, but- to just give that away and have it have it be a binge watch where everything is confined to like a five day window of what you think and then it's gone, versus just 
being able to peter it out week after week after week. Like if House of the Dragon was a binge watch show and they had just dumped 10, yeah, I, I, I think people would have been overwhelmed by it. I don't think it would have worked. I know we're talking about the bigger picture here, but I love that there's like a conversation about this with the Cameron, Daphne, Ethan, Harper group where they're talking about what they're watching. She's Daphne like, goes, binge. I, love I a, just love binging. I love a binge. I love a binge. <laughs> I love a binge. <laughs> Ted Lasso is so likable. And like, I like Ted Lasso, but I also like that Mike White is making fun of people who love Ted Lasso. So like, it's a, yeah, I love a binge, says Daphne. But yeah, I've, I've been pretty anti-binge culture or like a lot of people nowadays I know will, because they've lost trust in, in shows, will say, oh, I'll wait until it finishes and everyone says it's good, even if it's a week to week. I'll wait until it finishes. And people, if people say it doesn't, you know, shit the bed in the ending, then I'll binge it all. And I'm like, no, man, watch it with us week to week. Come listen to a podcast about it. Like that's, to me, that's the more enjoyable way to to experience a show. We saw that happen with Succession, which I think was a slow burn. And it was around episode four or five, it became a what you think show. And then the people who missed out initially went back and caught up. And that's the other thing, because I've talked about this before, but Friday Night Lights was like that way back when, 06. If you missed the first couple episodes, there was no way to catch up because we didn't have the streaming infrastructure yet. So you had to TiVo it. Yeah, around episode five, six, seven, it became a beloved critical darling. It became a what you think show. But if you missed the first four episodes, you're like, what do I do? I, ju- I guess I just have to wait till the DVDs. Now it's so easy to snap back. I remember with Alias, when Alias first premiered, that was also sort of a lit, like, you know, took a few episodes for it to really start to catch fire. And yeah. what ABC did is they did like a mini marathon of we'll, we will re-air all like the first seven episodes Smart. so that you can catch up and, and join the conversation. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your Ikea items for store credit, or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Rank for me, I'm going to give you four plots. So we have the two couples. We have the three generations of dudes. We have Tanya and uh, her husband. I'll give you the assistant as her own kind of thing. And then we have like the whole hotel, the managers and the hookers, the, the whole Italy side. Out of those five, what's your favorite? Um... Just for the first episode. Then we can, when we do episode two, we'll go dive into a little more. I think it has to be the couples. 
I think it has to be Cameron and Daphne and Ethan and Harper. So I agree. Yeah, their awkward conversations and their oil and water sort of dynamic is really fun to watch. We see them on the boat. Aubrey Plaza, who I think is a pretty much one-note act as an actress, but is still really good at the one-note. And she's just on the boat, and she's looking at the other couple, and they're a little PDA-ish, and she just has just unleashes an incredible resting bitch face. And you're just like, oh, I can see where this is going. Like, you know, then that, that's one of the great things about uh, how Mike White has a show. You, you get a feel for the characters pretty quickly. And in this one, it's like, oh, I yeah. know who this is going to be. And then she's even, where, I mean, she's the star of the first two episodes. She's even uh, even more heinous than you think she's going to be. And she's just so uptight, so judgmental. Um, there, It's impossible to have an interaction with her where she doesn't put somebody else either on the defensive or she's not offended in some way. She's always insisting everything is okay, but it's not. And it's... It's a little, it's close to the Sydney Sweeney character in White Lotus season one. Um, just that same kind of, I don't really like other human beings, but it's a whole other level. I was really impressed by it. I think this is the best she's been in anything. Yeah, I really liked her um, in the happiest season, the Hulu um, rom-com that came out last year where um, I think she played actually a different note than we're used to from Aubrey Plaza. Oh, interesting. But, you know, for the, and, and Ingrid Goes West is also like another good example. But like for the most part, yeah, she's Aubrey Plaza doing an Aubrey Plaza character. And I think I agree with you that this is the best version of like what we got to know in Parks and Rec, et cetera. But I, I, I love the body language of all the people on the boat. Um, I love that she and her husband are dressed in like whites and neutrals and the other couple are in like bright colors. Um, and, and so, yeah, you immediately understand the contrast between these two. And what I like about her is you're not wrong <laughs> that she's so dislikes people and is causing conflict. But at the same time, like every time she's trying to make nice, you get the sense that she's trying to do it for her husband. Like right. she's not being honest about how she feels, but it's not because she's duplicitous because she's like, he wants a smooth holiday. So she's going to hide, you know, barely conceal how she feels in order to make him happy or make everything feel calmer around her. And then also some of the things that she objects to, this other couple is more fun, but some of the things she objects to, I'm like, I object to that as well. Yeah. I object we all to hate PDS. You know? Yeah. We're good. Well, like, or or people who are like, did I vote? I'm not sure if I voted, you know, <laughs> right, or like, right, right. I'm like, Ugh, you know, or like, I don't, you know, oh, the news, the news is just, who cares? And I'm like, well, I mean, you gotta, you should care a little, maybe sometimes. So, um. It's a perfect oil and water combo because. Yeah. Just putting those two couples together, they're just predisposed not to get along. And the other couple's so nice. They know she's a bitch. They don't know how to kind of navigate it. So they're trying to even be nicer to make it work, which makes it even more awkward. And then she's got the bizarre relationship with the husband. Like they're at dinner. They're, she's telling telling them, I think that was the first episode. She's telling him, "We should, I think we'll have the salad. And then like, they're going to split everything. Oh, the fish. Yeah. And he's like, I kind of want the fish. And she's like, oh, it's going to be fishy. And it's like, why are you ordering for this guy? This guy's an adult. And why don't you just get your own dinners? Yeah, and she's like, you can have it later in the week. I was like, why doesn't he just have it now? I didn't understand that. But at the same time, then she like clocked 
that the other everyone else felt like she was being difficult. And so she's like, oh, okay, we'll have the fish. You know what I mean? So yeah. she's like at least self-aware. And also like <laughs> when she says what she does, which is, you know, settle employee, employer, like lawsuits and stuff like that. And the Cameron character is like, oh, we're dealing with all these fake claims. And she's like, cool. Not all of them are fake. You know, like, again, I'm yeah, on that her was side. Great. A lot of the time it's just... The demeanor's off-putting, but she's also making a lot of good points. So, yeah. She thinks she's right in every situation. And you're right. Probably in half to two-thirds of them, she's probably on the right side of whatever it is. She just has no idea how to get that across without making the other person feel like she hates them. Right. And maybe she does hate them, honestly. Maybe she does. (laughs) How did you interpret the sex harassment claims? Because my wife and I... Why, mm-hmm. My wife was just over the moon with these two episodes, but um, they have the swimsuit change, which is kind of the pivotal hmm moment of this in episode mm-hmm. one. He goes up to a room to get the other guy's swimsuit. As soon as they go off, they're like, oh boy, here we go. Something, right. something's, something's happening. And she's in the bathroom and he does a change and he's butt naked, kind of sees his Johnson. And she, her whole body changes. It seems like she's 25% horrified and 75% this is the most thrilling thing that's happened to her in five years. And when you tie into the sex harassment thing that he's like, oh, we've been dealing with that. It's unclear whether it was his company or him. So then when he does that, so then that sent all the theorizing with my, my wife and I were like, so was this guy, do you think he sexually harassed people at work? Like, why did he do this? Is is this guy a secret horn dog? And that's why it's great that this isn't a binge show because we have a week to be like, what's going on with this guy? Is he a horn dog? Is this a weird moment? Is he going to try to fuck Aubrey Plaza? How is this going to play out? I mean, I think he could. Um, it felt like a power moment. Because like at first I was like, oh, you know, maybe he's just he's just changing in the angle of the mirror, or whatever. She happened to like see him. You know, she's not. No, he knew intentionally. But then he walks up to her. He's like, "Is this kind of t-? you know?" He's like, sort of like, yeah. He he knew what he was doing. So yeah, it felt like a power move to me. She's definitely attracted to him, and I, you know, that's a dynamic that we're familiar with. Of like, he represents everything she finds repulsive, and yet there's sort of this like primal attraction to him. Uh, you know, that she, that, that goes against all of her intellectual impulses. And I think that's something that White Lotus, I mean, this is a much more sex obsessed season than season yes. one was. And I, I told think, my mom, I was like, you're going to love this. My, 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 this is in my mom's wheelhouse. All sexual loves, overtones loves. and innuendos <laughs> and it's just secret looks at a mirror at somebody changing. Yeah. She's like, forget the undertones. Give me the overtones. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. like, give me the tones. <laughs> give me all the tones. But yeah, so this is this is the hornier season of White Lotus. And I think Great. uh Mike Mike White, again, these these places that they go, Sicily, Hawaii, like in uncomfortable ways often is examining like what happens to a straight-laced, I go to a five-star resort, rich person in this environment where it's bumping up again? You know, we get that, like, that right at the beginning of that testa di moro thing, the head of the moor, the story. Yeah. Like, there are these statues of all these 
dis, you know, disembodied more heads of this story of this, you know, this guy who comes to Sicily, sleeps with a woman. She finds out he has a, a family back home. She cuts off his head and they make vases out of them and the vases yeah. are in every room. And that's sort of this like, you know, ancient primal sort of feeling that's part of this that like, how is that going to spread to the various guests who are here at this resort, you know? Good point. The other thing with the uh, swimsuit scene. So mm-hmm. I, I Googled it because I, I I tried to read, as, was there the, where they put the stories out about what was the point of season two? I was like, I'm going to read a couple of these without trying mm-hmm. to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. And that actor has been naked. I think his name is Theo James. He's been naked oh, yeah. in a couple other movies. And Downton Abbey, right? <laughs> right. He said, there's a more over the top version of the nude scene they shot that actually pushed mm-hmm. it too far. So they dialed it back for what we saw, or it's like a brief glimpse of, you know, whatever. But I think I think they went way bigger with the so, so that makes me think that's a really important scene. If they were like, mm-hmm. let's really dial it up for this moment, then something's going on. So that's something to watch. We, you know, it's funny, this show's relationship with wealth and how it doesn't lead to happiness, I think was kind of the point of or one of the points of season one. Was all these people who seem like they had everything going, they don't. That just because you have money, that doesn't necessarily translate to being happy, being happy with the people you're with, et cetera, et cetera. So this season, you have the uh, you have that swimsuit guy, and you have Daphne, and they're just over the top happy. And I'm wondering, like, that's from what we know about Mike White and this universe is creating, I'm suspicious. Yeah. I, at one point in my notes, I wrote down hot dummies. Like, are they the hot dummies who or are just more like going blissfully, on? you know, going through life or is there something we're going to discover about them? Yeah. So we got that. Then the, uh, we can, we can cover the, uh, the three generations more in the second episode and the same for, um, for Tanya, the, um, assistant. That's the one for me where I'm not sure how that evolves over the, cause I feel like he's, positioning her as the key character. And I want to know how that evolves, how she navigates this whole world. Cause episode two, there's some revelations, which we'll talk about that. It just feels like she's going to be the crucial character, but I don't know where it's going. So where do you think it's going? I think she's crucial because like similar to that character in season one that you mentioned who worked in the spa, like it's, it's the sort of everyman part. Like she's not there because she can afford to be there. She's there because she's someone's assistant. And so she's supposed to be kind of us point of view character in, in the mix here. Um, I like that, you know, I said the thing earlier about like, you can't order room service, but like, I don't think she should be locked up in her room um, at all, obviously. Um, And I like that she's sort of, slightly defiantly straying out of her room. But at the same time, like if she is our point of view character, there's, there's the moment when F. Murray Abraham's character comes down uh, and he, you know, he has a fall, but like she, a couple times she's like, he's such a sweet old man. Oh, your grandfather is such a sweet old man. And we're like, no, he, no, he's not. Yeah. Like, no, we just watch him no, fart in front, of the, in front of the hotel right. staff. And like yeah. hit on everything moving. And so uh, if she is our POV character, like we know that her POV is, not a very sharp or observant one, yeah. right? Because she thinks that he's harmless and, you know, he's he's not really harmless, so. And then Lucia, the the hostitute, will be kind. Mm-hmm. But she had a couple good scenes too, where especially when she's screaming at the hotel manager, where she, oh, that yeah. scene was great. Uh, so we know 
She's an odds-on favorite to be one of the dead people at the end of the end of the show, I think. But oh, you think so? Well, but they said there were multiple dead people, so that makes me makes me wonder. Speaking of dead, Greg, Tanya's husband, who was battling terminal cancer allegedly in the first season, no mention of the cancer this season. Now they're married, not happily. Looks like that's headed the wrong direction. But um, do you think we're going to find out more about Greg in the second episode? But do you think he made up the cancer thing? Oh my god! Are we heading that way? What a way? theory! You also love a theory. I do. I see. Um, it's three years later. Where, where's the cancer? Yeah, he's got these like whispered phone conversations. Yeah. Like what you know? There's something like he's obviously distracted by some like something's going on, and like you know your first instinct in this sex laced season of White Lotus is like infidelity, but maybe there's like a twist there, and it's actually having to do with his health. I don't know if the cancer is like reemerged or something like that. Uh, but I hate him, and it's really funny because you know because he's like such like Tanya obviously is a mess and a handful, and yeah. like I don't think I would want to spend a lot of time with her. But like the hope of season one was that there is like a a lid for every pot, like even absolute bonkers weirdo. Yeah. Kind of borderline, terrible, terrible people like Tanya maybe deserve love. And then Greg turns out to be an asshole who's like giving harassing her about how many cookies she ate and stuff like that. Like, I found the two macaroons. I only ate three of them. Shut the fuck up, Greg. Um, isn't she paying for the room? Like, yeah. what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, why are you complaining, Greg? How about when he said, do you want me to wash up first? I got swamp crotch. She says he's it's always like classy. Craig. He's always thinking always of saying me. the right thing. She's like, she gets that Jennifer Coolidge gets that dreamy. Maybe I'll win a second Emmy look on her face right. when he says that. Um, yeah, but I uh, he's high on my list of. I actually kind of hope he's one of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead, dead people in the water. Well, I mean, so. he tried to kill Dylan McKay in season five of Nine Hundred Two and Zero. I've never <laughs> well, forgiven, forgiven him God. for that. Love it. And he kept showing back up, like, screw that guy. All right, so we're going to wrap up. Before we do, who won the episode, episode one for you? I think Haley Lou. Haley Lou Richardson. I think yeah. it's Haley Lou and Aubrey Plaza in the finals. And I think it's Haley Lou just because when that character was introduced, I was like, this character is going to suck. And by the end of it, I was like, I'm rooting for this person. <laughs> so good <laughs> yeah. job of here. All right, we're going to wrap up. Thanks to Isaiah Blakely for producing We'll be back every Sunday night. White Lotus coming back next week. Thank you, Joanna. Good to see you. Good to see you.